Well, good morning. How's everyone? Good. Wow. Okay. We'll wake up later. That's okay. My name's Eric. Uh, love to meet you if I don't know you. Uh, out in the courtyard, there's a welcome area. We'd love to give you a gift, answer any questions you might have. Um, if you're here right now, I want to say thank you because you probably had a hard time parking. And uh, we understand, uh, but we're also excited. That means more and more people are coming. So we're excited about that. And we do have a, a plan we're going to try to open up, but the weather has made it hard because our plan was if we ever needed more parking, we would use the grass, except grass and rain don't mix. So uh, they do for growth, but not for parking. So uh, as that dries out, we'll open up those spots and continue to get more and more people in. Uh, in the meantime, we just ask for you to be patient. Um, if you're able-bodied, uh, you know, maybe park a little bit further, let the less able-bodied park closer. And so that way it's not so uh, hard making them walk far and maybe just plan to be a little bit earlier. But we're going to work to get that as soon as it dries out. And so we're excited about that. Thank you for your patience. Uh, and then last week, don't know if you knew, we had uh, an ambulance come to church. And, and so uh, one of our members here uh, got, went through a, an incident, we'll call it. And we're glad he's okay. Um, but it's important to tell the church um, that we do have a safety team, and we practice those types of situations. So from health situations to security situations, people roam the parking lot. Uh, we care deeply about you coming, that you'd feel spiritually safe, physically safe. Uh, and so we go through that. So if something ever happens like that, just know there's a team. They're trained. They're on it. Uh, we have professionals from firefighters to doctors to nurses to cops all through it. And so we're just grateful but we want you to be here and be safe. And so we're grateful for that. And so if you ever see anything, uh, just be calm and know that we've practiced it and we care about you. Uh, lastly, after this service in the activity center, we're going to have an Israel info meeting uh, to go to Israel in 2024 of January. And so we're excited about that trip. Um, it's an opportunity for you to see where Jesus walked and taught and see the Bible come to life and the words in your Bible are actually happening in these places. And so uh, if you'd like information, we'll have... Uh, across in the activity center after the service, and we have lunch provided. So with that, we're going to continue on in our series uh, about the church. And hopefully you've been tracking with us just how important the church is and how uh, God uniquely designed it for specific purposes. Uh, we walked through that, you know, church is not three people at Starbucks with the Bible open. That's not church. Church has a plurality of qualified elders uh, that have been trained to teach, protect, defend, and shepherd the flock. And then Pastor Andy walked through, you know, where that came from. And Chris walked through, you know, the unity that we're to have as that church. Uh, and we've talked about upholding the truth of the scriptures and to be united. And then this week, what we're going to do is we're going to see that what messes with unity is sin. That sin um, gets Christians angry and, and off kilt and they attack. And all of these things become problematic. So right out of that unity comes, hey, we need to deal with sin. And so one thing you just got to know right up front, you have to expect is if you come to church, you're going to see sinners, okay? You got your minds blown right now, I can tell. Okay, that's, that's true though. Why is that so important? Because I think we're offended sometimes. We're like, this shouldn't happen at church. Or uh, often you're here that, you know, a bunch of hypocrites go to church. And my wife sent me one of those reels or memes, whatever you call them. And it was funny, but the guy said, you know, getting mad at hypocrites at church is like going to the gym and getting mad at the guy who's overweight, calling him a hypocrite, right? Because, well, why are you here? You care about health. Well, he's here because he cares about his health. 
right? Or you think of a sick person going to a hospital. You're like, you shouldn't be here. Or if a well person comes to a hospital to see if they're sick, you shouldn't be here. It's like, no, 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 no. Everyone's here. You're going to have people who are in the thick of it, people who are recovering from the thick of it, people who don't know Christ, who do know Christ. But one thing will be constant. They're going to sin. It's going to hurt. And so what we want to look at is through this passage is Paul's like, hey, this is going to happen. This is what we need to do. This is how we deal with it as Christians. And so it's important we walk through this and see, okay, this is how we deal with each other. This is how God designed us to act as Christians and see all that he has. So let's pray and we'll walk through this text. God, we love you and we praise you for your word, that it's clear, that it teaches, that it helps. Uh, and it's my prayer that we would just take this text and it would draw us close to you. We would see what you've done. We'd love you more. We'd want to be like you more. We'd want to be imitators as your children. And so we just pray for your words to, to illuminate our hearts and to teach us. Uh, we love you and we praise you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so verse 17 kind of sets the expectation. He goes, now... I say this, and this is just after talking about unity, right? I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they become calloused, uh, sensuality, greedy, and every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned in Christ. So what does he start off with? Hey, Christians, you know better. You need to quit acting like non-Christians. So there's this built-in idea that Christians are, are from times they're going to struggle and they're going to want to act like they did pre-Jesus. They're going to want to act like non-Christians. And so it's important for us to see that that's, Paul knows that's going to happen. So don't be shocked when we see Christians acting like non-Christians. And, and one of, let's walk through some of the particulars of that. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, I'm saved by grace, so it doesn't matter what I do. God doesn't care. He loves me. He forgives me. Well, this is saying you need to change, so that's covered. But two is sometimes what people will say is, well, you know, in order for me to evangelize people, in order for me to witness to people, you know, when in Rome, you have to act as the Romans do. And so that's why with the people who swear, I swear, and with the alcoholics and with the gossip, you know, I just kind of fit wherever I need to fit and I act however I need to act. And so this actually, it's funny, is that thought goes back so far, even in this text, he's addressing it. Here's a quote for you. It says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. It's an encouragement to conform. If you're among sophisticated people, act sophisticated. If you're among earthly common types, act earthly, act common. If you're among pagans, act like one. Above all, do not stand out. At least not if you want to get on and be successful in the world. So the idea, even in this context, was people modifying their behavior so that people would like them. And he's saying, you need to stop that. That's what non-Christians do. Non-Christians purchase people with their behavior. You need to stop it. And you're going to struggle to be a Christian in non-Christian settings. You're going to struggle to be a Christian in Christian settings. Because sometimes you want to kill the Christian because they should know better. And you want to kill the non-Christian because they don't know better, right? And he's saying, no matter what, you need to act like a Christian. If, if you wonder where we're pulling that, you just look at the end of 32. He's like, hey, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, just as Christ was to you. So he's starting off right at the back. You need to act like a Christian. You can't use this, oh, well, when in Rome, well, to them, I need to act like this. And then some of you are looking at me, and you're like, but Eric, doesn't Paul say to the Jew, I became a Jew, and to the Gentile, I became, right? Let's talk about that. 1 Corinthians 9.20 
says, to the Jew, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Now catch this. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. What is he getting at? He's not saying he broke his relationship with Jesus to reach people for Jesus. He's not saying I did what God said no so that other people would say yes. What is he saying? He's saying when I'm in Corinth and I'm dealing with pagan people, and they see that there's meat that was purchased from the temple of Aphrodite. And, and that meat comes to their house and they're like, oh, this came from the temple. We can't eat it. He said, then I don't eat it because I'm a stronger brother in Christ. I don't want to hurt their relationship. He doesn't say, I'm, if, they, if they, you know, to the Muslims, I became a Muslim. That's not what he's saying. I don't deny Christ to those who deny Christ. He's saying, I make every effort where it doesn't ignore God, his word, or the gospel to help people know Jesus. So what are we getting at? There's never an excuse to act like a non-Christian. So I says, put this off. That's who you were. It's not who you are. You've been adopted. You need to act like it. Chapter one sets up this whole framework. You've been adopted. God sent his son Jesus to purchase you into the family through the shedding of his blood. You've been purchased. Act like it. Quit acting like the former you who is essentially a sinful orphan chasing the world and Satan. Read Ephesians 2. So it's imperative, you see, there's never this permission to put on the old self, to be pre-Christ. So as you walk through that, that's part one. Part two is when we're putting off the old self, we have to do it for the proper motivations. Because when you look at the Pharisees, why are they morally upright? Why are they giving the appearance of putting on the new? Because they wanted to feel loved by people. They wanted to have status. They wanted to be superior. And so the difference between the moral person and the Christian is that the Christian is motivated by Christ. It's the purchasing and adoption of Jesus that says, because of him, we do these things. And that's what separates the Christian from the non-Christian is the motivation behind the change. And so when we look at that putting off the old, the motivation has to be because of what Christ did for me, because of the kindness, tenderheartedness, and the forgiveness of sins, because of what he did, that's why I will not be calloused, impure, darkened in my understanding, alienated. And so as we think through the the former us, why do you make the change? You're not earning God's love. You're not earning people's approval. You have to essentially think of it like this. If I was in a room all by myself, I would want to act this way because of what Christ did. No one's going to see it or applaud it, criticize it, commend it, share it, tell it. Only God sees. And I'm doing it because I love him. And this is where Paul anchors it. You learned this. Don't act fatherless. You have a father. You've been adopted. Act like it. So the motivation we see now has to come from this, I love Jesus. You see this in Genesis 39.9. Familiar with the story of Joseph. His brothers hated him. They tried to kill him. They left him out for dead. He gets sold into slavery. He works his way up within 
uh, kind of the, the prison. He becomes a trusted worker. And his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, comes and she throws herself at him. And this is Joseph's reasoning for why he won't, you know, commit adultery. So he says, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. So he's saying, look, your husband hasn't withheld anything from me except you because you're his wife. So he's saying, look, your husband's been good to me. But then look what he says next. How then can I do this wickedness and sin against God? See, Joseph's primary concern is God has loved me. And you got to think, he's been, his brothers tried to kill him and he's a slave. And he's like, I can't do this to God. It's not circumstance driven. It's not people driven. It's God driven. He's saying, my father matters so much to me. I could not do this to him. I'm not going to act like an orphan. I'm not going to act like someone who doesn't know God. Now you go back to your text. I'm not going to act like I have a darkened mind. I'm not going to act like someone who doesn't know what God's done for me. I'm not going to act ignorant. I'm in verse 18 now. I'm not going to have a hard heart. I'm not going to be calloused and say, look at everything I've been through and look at all the hardships and look at how people have treated me. I deserve this affair. You say, no, look at what God did for me. I deserve hell. I've been given heaven. I won't sin against God. So the motivation behind our choices is paramount to being a Christian. So before we even get to the putting off and the putting on, first question you have to ask yourself is why? Is why? Because there's going to come a time when we, and this is what the Bible is telling us, we're going to want to act like non-Christians. Life's going to get hard. People are going to hurt us. We're going to drift. And we're going to have times where maybe we feel alienated from God, like he doesn't love us, like he doesn't care because this illness has happened, or this family member is treating me this way, or my job's doing this, or the economy, and you're like, I don't love you. And so you, you stop coming to church, you stop reading your Bible, and you stop praying, and you feel just disconnected and, and just separated from God. Paul is saying, put that away. That's who you were. You're not separated. You're a child of God. That's 5.1. Be imitators of God as children. You've been adopted, chapter 1. You're his. You've been purchased. You're his beloved child. Don't act like you're fatherless. Don't act like he didn't purchase you. And so that's the first step in us looking through this is, why do I want to put off the old? Why do I want to not act like that? Because of what Christ did. So then he walks forward. Okay, putting off the old. This is what you've learned. Now 21. He says, I'm assuming you were taught in him, 22, so put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner and life and is corrupt and is deceitful desires. I mean, circle 22, catch this, is that old you doesn't belong to you anymore. That belongs to the past. You're a completely new person. He's saying, don't allow your deceitful desires from that past to trick you, to lie to you. Because essentially what, what the orphan of the world is doing is trying to purchase people's affection through their behavior. And that's the lie. You can make these people love you. 
It's like you get a gallon of ice cream because you're really upset. You tell yourself, this is going to make me feel better. And it does until you finish. Then you feel terrible because you ate too much. That alcohol is going to make you feel better until you wake up in the morning. That new purchase is going to make you feel better until it's an old purchase. That's the deceit that's telling you this is going to fix being an orphan. This is going to fix you feeling unloved. Essentially, if we boil it all down, it's that sinners who have not been forgiven by the Father feel guilty and feel unloved and feel unworthy and they try all the world's systems to fill the guilt, feel the pain, and it never works. It's deceitful. She says, stop, you know better. God purchased you through Jesus. Don't be deceived. Then he goes on. Therefore, 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. So this is important. He's saying there's two things you got to do that's going to be hard. There's going to be these times where you want to sin. You don't want to be like Jesus. Renew your mind in your spirit. So you have to walk through what are the lies I believe? What are the sins I'm doing that I think help me but actually hurt me? This is why it's important to come to church. You hear the Word of God taught. This is why it's important to be in a Bible study. You hear other Christians talking about, I've tried that, it didn't work. I've tried that, it doesn't work. That's why it's important to read your Bible. So you're feeding your mind. And the Holy Spirit, that's your helper, it's helping you teach your heart that no, don't pursue deceit. That bottle's not going to fix it. That new item you want to purchase isn't going to fix it. That affair is not going to fix it. So your mind's being constantly fed and it's helping you know that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I'm a new creation. So it helps you know over and over and over again. It's saying you need to do this and renews you. So we need to expect that there's going to be things in life that tempt us. You've got to go back to the garden. They're going to say, does God really love you? Does he really care about you? Because if he did, he wouldn't withhold this from you. He wouldn't let these things happen to you. He doesn't care. You need to go find this for yourself. You need to go fix this yourself. He's not real. He doesn't care. He doesn't love. So it's saying the filling of your mind is what helps you now put on the new, the likeness of God. Well, what's the likeness of God? You've got to go back down to 32. How did God treat you? If you're a Christian, you know you're a great sinner. You know you deserve help. And you know that Jesus paid for your sin when you couldn't pay for your sin. And you know that he forgave all of your sin. And you know that he was patient with you, kind with you, tenderhearted with you, and he forgave you. That's what you put on. That's how you begin to treat people. That's how you react. See, it's not that Christians don't sin. It's how do Christians handle sin? They go back to how has the Father treated me in my sinfulness? And then how do I not let that sin impact other people? And how do I not let it grow and affect my behavior so that I'm alienated and I'm darkened in my mind and I'm ignorant to the things of God? You see this down here in verse 20, 25 and 26. This is what he's saying. He says, therefore, putting away the falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What is he saying? Essentially, you're going to get hurt. 
And in that pain, you're going to want to do the sins of, of 31. You're going to want to be bitter. You're going to want wrath. You're going to want anger. You're going to want clamor. You're going to want to slander. And you're going to want to commit malice. Just don't get opportunity to the devil to grow that pain. Because as that grows, then you'll be dark in your mind. You'll feel alienated from God. And you'll be acting like a non-Christian. Don't act like a non-Christian. You've been saved. You've been purchased. You've been redeemed. So it's very important. So now we put on Christ's likeness, his attitudes. But the next part is when, when we are hurt, when life doesn't go our way, when God says no, when things don't line up, we deal with them quickly so we don't give opportunity for the devil to grow the bitterness and the anger that is inside us. Because that bitterness and anger separates us, alienates us from the relationship we have with God. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. But you stop renewing your mind. You start believing the lies. And then you start acting like a non-Christian. Like someone who gets cancer. They're angry. How could God do this to me? I go to church. I pray. I read my, this isn't fair. This isn't right. He's saying you, before you go to bed, you need to deal with that before the Lord. You need to renew your mind. Otherwise, that's going to turn into, I told you God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. You only have one life, party, live it up, because you might die tomorrow. He doesn't care. He doesn't love. And he says, the more you give opportunity to the devil, that's going to grow. And then people are going to come around you in your life say, why are you going to church? All that got you was cancer. And then you magnify that in multiple situations. Oh, you're going to love Jesus? That worked out well for you. Your wife, your husband cheated on you. Your kids are rotten. You're poor. You have tons of debt your jobs, to whatever it is. He's saying, don't give opportunity to that. Because in every letdown, there's going to be a temptation of verse 31. Bitterness. I don't deserve this. Wrath. You hurt me, I'll show you. Anger. I should never be hurt. Things should go my way. Slander. Oh, you want to make me feel bad? I'll make you feel bad. He's saying, don't give opportunity for that to grow. See, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is the Christian says, I know better because that's not how Christ dealt with me. And it is because of how Christ dealt with me that I will not deal in that way with you. That's why 32 is the anchor. Be kind to one another. Tended-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ, forgave you. So the Christian puts on kindness, intended heartedness, and forgiveness. Why? Not because other people deserve it, because Christ treated us in that way. And then 5-1, we're to imitate God as his children. That's how Christians are to act. So that when a non-Christian sees us, they're like, it's not that you're perfect, it's that, man, you are constantly trying to be like Christ. Why? Because that's how Christ was with me. And then, so then that's how I want to be with other people. And you see, when the church does that, it says, I will forfeit my emotions and passions and my right to fix this hurt to be like Christ because he's greater than my pain. He's greater than my revenge. He's greater than my pound of flesh. He's greater than what the world has to offer. He's greater than temporary fixes. He's greater than 
ignoring. He's greater than, you fill it in, I pick Jesus. Because you understand what Jesus has done to you and for you. He says, when the church acts in this way, this is why he's getting out and speaking the truth to one another in 22 or 23 all the way down through 28. What is he saying? He's saying, look, Christian, you're going to have these emotions, but the neighbor needs to be able to speak the truth to you and say, hey, every time I'm around you, you're really angry. Are you gossip? Are you cursed like a sailor and saying, I care about you? You're not a pagan, you're a Christian. Why are you acting like you don't know Jesus? Why are you acting like you don't know what God has taught you? Why is there so much pain? What's going on? Not I'm better than you, you're terrible, or I love to bring up bad things you do because it makes me look great. So you would speak the truth to your neighbor because we're members of one another because how we handle sin communicates to the world that either God is greater than our sin or that our sin is greater than God. We love our sin more or we love God more. And so the Christian helps out the other Christian and says, hey, we're members of each other. We need to act like Christians. We were orphans. We've been adopted. We've been purchased. We need to act like it. Be grateful, kind, forgiving, imitators of God. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's our identity. So he's saying don't give an opportunity for those moments where you want to believe the lies. Don't let it fester. Don't go to bed on it. Deal with it immediately. You have conflict. You have pain. Deal with it. Go to the scriptures. Go to prayer. Go to someone in Christ. Be honest with, hey, you hurt me. You don't have to lie. You don't have to be mean. It's a powerful thing to say, hey, that hurts. That hurt. And then whatever happens from there is between them and the Lord. But we don't have to get a pound of flesh. We don't have to act in that way. And this is why it says one of the primary things to, to fix how we react, putting on the new, is our speech. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear you. Saying our words are going to be one of the primary ways that people hear us and see us. Words matter. Words matter. Clarity matters. We need to be specific about who is Jesus. God is sovereign. What is a male? What is a female? What is marriage? It's loving to be truthful. This is what God created. We're not separated from God. We're not futile in our minds. We're not ignorant to what his word says. What does it say? You say it truthfully and you say it with grace and you build them up in the process. Here's what God's word said. It's what's best for you. Now, on the other side of it is, if you're allowing bitterness to grow and wrath to grow and anger to grow in your heart, what does Jesus say? From the mouth speaks the heart. It'll come out in your mouth. And it'll hurt people and it'll wound people. And it'll become a stumbling block to them loving Christ or loving you or seeing Christ in you. That's when it's like, you're a Christian, really? We don't ever want someone to be shocked we're a Christian, do we? It's like, wow, I couldn't guess by the way you talk or the way you act. Paul addresses both. How we talk matters. You know, they told us a lie growing up. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. You know that's a lie, right? It's absolutely a lie. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will break your heart. Words will break your heart. 
And when words break your heart, that's when you get bitter. That's when you get angry. That's when you want to say words back. You see, if you're looking at this passage, it's saying the Christian, take that hurt. You don't let the sun go down on that anger. Maybe you sin once because in your mind, but you don't sin twice. You don't let it come out of your mouth. You sin once, not twice. Why? Because you remember how Christ dealt with you, verse 32. You remember how Christ dealt with you. You remember how Christ dealt with you. So it's Christ-motivated, driven behavior. Essentially, what are you saying? Your character will be your currency to the world. And that character is forged and fueled, motivated by the work of Christ in your life. And that you always go back to his saving work on the cross for you, and that's why you won't let that bitterness grow. That's why you won't let that anger grow. And then that's why you won't let those words fly. You're going to say words that upbuild, right? They build up. It's building up to say, you know better. God loves you. God has more for you. Christ died for you. I'm going to help you. You know, fits the occasion. That part gets left out. It's like you don't correct your boss in a staff meeting, right? You don't point out, you're an idiot in front of the whole staff. That'd be a bad occasion, wouldn't it? But maybe in his office, and don't use the word idiot, and say, hey, that report was off. But that wasn't accurate. Fits the occasion. Because sometimes when you're trying to be right, you're still wrong. You say the wrong right thing in the wrong way in the wrong time. You're saying, Christians, build up, fit the occasion that it gives grace to people who hear, and it won't grieve the Holy Spirit. You're saying, when, when Christians verbally attack one another, verbally attack non-Christians, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Meaning, the Holy Spirit says, no, you shouldn't do that. That's your helper. It's reminding you, don't talk like that. Don't talk like a non-Christian. You're a Christian. Don't talk fatherless. You've been adopted. You know better. Don't talk like that. It gets in the way of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. Grow us into the image and likeness of Jesus. It says that in verse 24. It says that in 5.1. Be imitators of God in the likeness of God. How did God treat us? He loved us. He forgave us. But he also told the truth. He was truthful. He was honest. He was compassionate. He was kind. So when you walk through the putting off and the putting on, the primary question is, what's the driving motivation? The driving motivation has to be what Christ has done through the purchasing of my sin on the cross, through that relationship, my motivation to renew my mind, remember what he did, read his word, see his people, give him praise, renew my mind, act like Jesus. Not because people deserve it, because Jesus deserves it. And when the church acts in this way, the world goes, why are you so kind? Because how oh, Christ was kind to me. How can you live in that marriage? Because Christ didn't give up on me. How can you have that job? Because of how Christ treated me. That's when God is glorified, when at every turn we say, Jesus is better than the benefit of the world. Jesus is better than my pound of flesh. Jesus is better than my glory. Jesus is better than temporary fixes. Jesus is the ultimate fix. He loved me, adopted me, and purchased me. And heaven is my home, and he is my father.
saying he is better. I choose him. I put him on every day, every day, every day, every day. I put that away. I put that away. The world would see us and say, how, how, why? And that's when the church fulfills its duty to glorify God, that he's better than all things in all ways. Some questions for us to ask and consider. What part of the old self is the hardest for you to put off? There's going to be things that are hard for all of us, whether it's to love your job more than you love Jesus, whether it's to use a substance to numb your emotion, whether it's to live in anger, whether it's to separate and alienate yourself from God, whatever that is, how can you put it away? How can you identify it? And each day say, no, that's a lie. That's not going to help. It's not going to fix. It's not going to work. Two, how can you renew your mind daily to put off the old and put on the new? So what are you doing to remind yourself? No, Christ died for me. He purchased me through his blood. This is what he did for me. For some people, it's singing worship songs. For some people, you know, you be reading your Bible a lot. So it's going to be a Bible study. What are the things you can do each day to remind yourself, Christ purchased you. You've been adopted. Act like a child of God. These are the lies. This is the truth. You need to figure that out for yourself and do it daily. Three, how do you uh, kind of stop giving an opportunity to the devil? Or how do you give the devil opportunity sometimes? Meaning, for some of you, it's not wise for you to stay in the group of friends you have. Because when you're with them, you gossip and you backbite and you devour For some of you, being around a screen is bad because you make bad choices and you do bad things. For some of you, you shouldn't watch the football game today because you're going to lose your mind and throw things. It's bad for you, right? For some of you, you shouldn't maybe have a cell phone. For some of you, you shouldn't go to a bar. For some of you, you shouldn't, whatever that is, how do you not give an opportunity for the devil to grow that lie that says you need this, you deserve this, this will make it better? The Bible is very clear. Don't give an opportunity to Satan to grow that. Don't allow that. Is there a relationship you need to go address now because it's just festering and it's growing and that anger grows. You feel alienated from God because you're hating one of his children. Four, what are the primary differences between a moral non-Christian and a Christian? The motivating factors and why you're moral. The motivating factors. The non-Christian wants to look good on the outside. But what does the Bible say about the Pharisees? That they have dead men's bones on the inside. You're trying to purchase people with your moral superiority that they might think you're great and fancy. That's not a Christian. A Christian is motivated by the work of Christ on the cross. And that is why they're kind. That is why they're gracious. That is why they show mercy. That is why they forgive. That is why they think before they speak. That's why they're slow to speak. That's why they're quick to love, quick to forgive. That's why they don't let the sun go down on their anger. That's why they don't let these things build because of the work of Christ. It's the driving motivation. Five, what does it look like to speak the truth with your neighbor? Because sometimes we get blind and they need to know like, hey, what you're doing, like you're acting like a non-Christian. You're acting like the old you. The Bible says to put that off. Like, are you hurt? Are you mad? Are you scared? What, what, What are you trying to correct. What are you trying to fix and how can I help you? You're always mad. You're always swearing. You're always crying. You're always depressed. You're always full of, what is this? And how can I help you? Because I care about you. Not because I think I'm better than you. Not because I want to gossip about you. 
but I've seen how Christ has worked in me and I want you to know that same benefit, that same joy, that same pleasure. And then six, how does walking as a Christian glorify God? It glorifies God when people know the, the things we do and the reason we do those things is because we love Christ more than we love the fame of the world, the quick fixes of the world, the pound of flesh, the laziness, whatever it is, whatever that choice is, we choose Christ and we'd rather imitate him because of who he is and what he's done for us. There's nothing greater than following Jesus. And when people know that choice, that we've made that decision, it glorifies God and tells the world they think God's better. I wish I had that kind of peace, that kind of joy, that kind of love. That's what we're called to because Jesus is better than everything. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. I would pray that we would take off the old and put on the new. That we would consistently remember who we were in Christ and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be alienated. I don't want to believe the deceit. I don't want to believe the lies. I don't want the temporary fix. I'd rather be in a jail cell with Jesus than have the riches of the world and not have Jesus. That we'd continually choose you over and over and over and over again. That we'd continually say it's worth it to follow you. I want to be like you. I want to be the way you were kind to me. I want to be kind to others. The way you forgave me, I want to forgive others. That we would put on Christ-likeness each day. That we would renew our mind in the work you've done each day. And it would be for an audience of one, for you and you alone. You'd be the driving, motivating factor in all of our choices. You'd be lifted high, loved, praised, adored in all situations. And we pray now as we turn to a time of worship, we would just celebrate you. You are better. You are greater. And it would give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.